Welcome to the Modern Carnivore Podcast, a guide for those interested in hearing more about hunting, fishing, and other paths to eating more responsibly. Now, here's your host, Mark Norquist. Hello, and welcome to this new episode of the Modern Carnivore Podcast. I'd like you uh, to sit back and join in on a little bit of fun today with a couple good friends, Hal Herring and Tony Jones. Hal Herring is the host of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers podcast and blast. And Tony is the host of the Reverend Hunter podcast. And this is a conversation we had recently at the Outdoor Writers Association annual conference that was being held in Casper, Wyoming. And it's one I've wanted to have for quite a while now, as these are two of the most uh, intellectually curious, thoughtful, and smart guys that I know who think about a lot of aspects of hunting. And so I wanted to pose the question of whether hunting is still relevant in the year 2022. And as you'll hear, the conversation goes down a lot of different pathways uh, related to that. And so I hope you enjoy the conversation and let us know your thoughts. And as always, please give us a five-star review if you do like it and tell your friends. Okay, we're here at uh, OWAA, which is the Outdoor Writers Association of America 2022 in Casper, Wyoming. And I'm joined by a couple friends here that uh, I've wanted to have on the podcast for a long time. And uh, I've been on both of their podcasts, but never had them on mine. Funny how that works. Yeah, yep. exactly. Huh? <laughs> oh, you should see that look, everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they can imagine it. Yeah, exactly. Why don't we Why don't we introduce ourselves? Hey, I'm Tony Jones. I'm the host of the Reverend Hunter podcast. And uh, my listeners who are listening to this on the Reverend Hunter stream, I want to... You've already heard Mark in the past. Um, and so we're glad to be, we've driven out here together. We spent a lot of time together. A lot of time. It's, we've had a bit of a planes, trains, and automobiles (laughs) scenario, which we're, which we're going to be talking about in another episode where we're talking just the two of us about, uh. Where you become John Candy. Yeah. 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 Mark's John Candy. Channeling my inner John Candy. Exactly. Yes. Casio. Casio. <laughs> and who else have we got here today? So I'm Hal Herring. Um, I also have a podcast, a Backcountry Hunters and Anglers podcast and blast, or I host that one. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm a jack of all trades and master of none. <laughs> but a jack of all trades is better than a master of one. Uh, ooh, there we go. That's true. Yeah. I agree with that. I, I, I'm absolutely a thousand percent there with that. Especially when like the trucks broke down or whatever, you know, you don't want just the brain surgeon. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if you need the brain surgeon, you need him, but he's going to be, he's not going to be a generalist. <laughs> so we're going to bring that up. <laughs> we're going to bring that up today. I think that's a good, that's a good theme in terms of jack of all trades, but especially in prep. I want. I definitely want us to talk about prepping. Yep. Post-apocalyptic <laughs> prepping. We're going to go Absol- there, right? We'll go there, absolutely. Yep. Because this group. I'd rather have a guy who can shoot and skin a squirrel than a brain surgeon after the apocalypse, right? right? Yep. I mean, if you need brain surgery, you're probably SOL yep. anyway, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's no ICU to you. rehab you in. That's but, right. But can you, but can you cook up a squirrel? Yeah. yeah. Oh, baby, yeah, that's absolutely. where it's at. 
take that tail, make a nice little uh, jig out yeah, of it. Yeah, the maps. Fish, like, yeah, maps, yeah. Exactly. You know what they charge for those? We're going to go off on a million tangents. Warning, lots of tangents on this <laughs> I love conversation. Uh, do you, they charge, I think they pay you like 10 cents a tail or yep. something like yep. that. It's Because like, I was going to do it one time, and I, and I still want to do it. And I've got three three sitting sitting in the freezer right now that I'll send you. But I'm like I'm sort of chuckling. I'm like, okay, they're going to send me a check for thirty cents, yep. <laughs> and then they're going to sell those lures for how much? Yeah, ten bucks or. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it, so the the original squirrel tails are, was it Mips? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And that's who, and that's who's still. I mean. That's what, in my lifetime, it's always been MEPS, and, uh, and that's who's still buying them today. I think Fox squirrels are 15 cents. I, they, I think you're right. They, they are. They are a little yeah. bit more. It might Absolutely. even be more than that. But. And I don't think you could do a pine squirrel or a red squirrel. I think it's just grays or right. fox, maybe. Yep. But, uh, that's, that's a great program. I, I love the aspect of utilize that whole animal. Yep. Could oh. you catch a squirrel, cut its tail off, and then let it go and have it Ooh, grow back? Wow. It's like a renewable that's resource. Epi- yeah, it epi- wouldn't epi- grow epi- back. Dang. And then yeah. and, um, if you ever, so here's a tangent for you. So uh, the pit bulls that they put in the ring, if you can tell sometimes that, that this is a dog who actually fights because he won't have a crop tail. Oh. And uh. that's for balance. Oh, and so sure. And so the, the squirrel without the tail. They lose all the bounce. They're going to be falling out of trees. They'd be raining down, dude. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be no good. If you hear them hitting on the tin roof. (laughs) 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 Well, tin roof, uh, that betrays your upbringing. You're from the south. You live in Montana, but you come from the deep south. Yeah, we had a tin roof. Is that right? Probably for aesthetics. My parents were big on aesthetics, and we lived in a big log uh, log cabin that they had rebuilt, an old one. Okay. And they put this beautiful tin roof on it. AC or swamp cooler? No. Or nothing? No. um, We had a window fan, um, (laughs) and um, they did, they they were, they were, (laughs) I mean, they were pretty conservative folks, right? But Mm -hmm. they did not do air conditioning until they were really old wow and they like to hear the bugs you know the cicadas and stuff are like that's like a big part of some of the whippoorwills um but they uh they didn't do ac for a long time and um but the window fan was louder than the ac (laughs) (laughs) and so there was that yeah okay it was one of those big fans you had some humid days as a young boy i did i I, I live it i'm i'm good with cold because i've been 32 years up in the montana but um i i live, I, I have no problem with it okay. ever the heat yeah you know how often do you do you go back down well i was there this winter for a long time um but that was a research trip for public land stuff um i used to go down a lot when my parents were alive but they both passed away so i don't go as much now do you still have a, a, a house or anything we do we have yeah. a the farm that that i grew up on i, I moved there when i was 10 um, and we've managed to keep it. It's like the five children. Yeah. It was like one of those things where if you sell it, the some of its, well, I don't know how you do that, but some of its parts is not like yeah. going to change your life. Yeah. But not having it will, and you're damn sure not going to get anything like it. Yeah, own, absolutely. Own my salary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> As a noted podcaster and, and, and pine cone picker. And pine cone picker, right. Not anymore, though. No. When you climbed and picked pine cones, what was that about? Are the pine cones then used to seed other trees? Yeah, so um, there's there's two aspects of that. Um, one, the best job I ever ever got my whole life. Was started in 2009. Was was um, climbing white bark pines, which are have a blister rust 
they're like white pines in Minnesota. Sure. Yeah. They're kin to them. They're a five-needle okay. pine. And um, we would go up there, and we would find the Forest Service would point to what they hoped were blister rust-resistant specimens. Mm. And you'd hike in. You'd climb the tree. No spurs. No spurs. You, you can't spur, you know, an endangered tree, right? You're right. not you're not there to kill the dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's all like free climbing. It's really, really good, really interesting. Cage the cones um, so that the squirrels and the uh, Clark's Nutcracker can't get them. And then you, you drop down. You'll come back to that tree in a month. You'll go do another kind of job and then harvest those. Mm. Are you caging individual cones? Or yeah, like, they're, they're like work? clusters of cones. Okay, yeah. And then, and then what you call the crown cone, which is right at the very top of the tree. You know, the one big cage goes over that. Are they metal? What are? What yeah, are they're made out of like uh, wire, like yeah. a mesh. Hosh, yeah, mesh. Okay, okay. Yep. Use, are you using ropes when you're climbing? Yep. Yeah. So you, you got and I mean, as the older I got, I started using double flip ropes. So you're, when you make your moves, you can you can tie in with your lower flip rope, make your moves, and then throw your next flip rope above you, mm-hmm. and clip in on that, and then drop drop the you know unclip the bottom one, so you can stay clipped in, and then you're and then you tie off. At sure. the last, um, at the last four inches, the last place on the tree that would hold your weight. Yeah. And you do what's called a monkey's fist or an arborist knot. And it goes around that, that comes back to your harness and you can move that up and down. Mm. But the, the, cru- the, the real crux is because, um, you got to pull out about eight feet of slack to get to those crown to get cones. To the top yeah. one. Yeah. Right, After the right. four inches of mm-hmm. a lot of slack. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. And so there's some, you know, there's some real white knuckling and some interesting stuff that happens to, to get the crown cone and you have to get the crown cone. That's your contract. You're not, you don't get the crown cone. You don't need, they don't want you there. So what did you, you made pretty good money. It's great that. money. Yeah. It was yeah. really good money. Yeah. 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 And, um, and then the other thing is you can then go to like, we spent a couple of seasons in the Black Hills and you go there and do Ponderosa. Which is a much less finesse job. You you can spur them, but we don't usually spur them. So you must have fallen. Or very lost your seldom. Okay. Very seldom. Um, I broke the top out of one one time, and the rope all performed as it was supposed to. Okay. Yeah. So you fell how many feet? On probably that? about twenty five. Holy 25. smokes! And you yeah. hit some branches going down. That's yeah, not I tore the back out of my shirt. <laughs> oh, like I, I had that shirt. I opened uh, some looking at t shirts like recently, and I had that shirt. No and kidding. A, and it was. So let me ask you this, because I've always thought this. <laughs> is, I don't know how we got here, but hey. <laughs> which is, which is, I've I've always felt whenever you and I have a conversation, I'm like, oh, this is my brother, like, like, uh, just philosophically, is is there. But the one thing I've always gotten, I don't get it, is the climbing. Like, what is it? And I, I think I've asked you this before, but what is it about the climbing? Because not only trees, but you're you used to be, or you still are you still doing doing rock climbing? I don't or? climb that much anymore. Um, rock climb that much, but for fifteen, sixteen years, that was like a big thing. And um, it was I was never like a five thirteen climber. But what does that mean? That's like a level of difficulty. Yeah, it's very very hard. And um, but one of the things I did attain. In, in my constant pursuit of generalist mediocrity. Um, was See, there a, we go. We, again, that's the brotherhood. Right? I got, I, uh, I, got I, I, I could climb 510 on gear, meaning traditional trad gear, yeah. in the backcountry. So mm-hmm. I, was say, I, was, I, was, I was capable of that. Was the mean, challenge, the thrill, what, what is it that you drew I was you to born climb? to do it. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. I was climbing when I was in high school. As soon as I figured out that that was a thing. Yeah. Um, and just born to do it. Yeah. 
I like going up. I like the movements. I like the head space. Um, we were talking about ADHD last night and whether or not, you know, you're ADHD or not. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But I can tell you that, like, when you're climbing above your gear like that, there's nothing else going on in your mind except for those moves and that problem-solving thing. And for that, for me, there was something in that that was, like, very, uh, I don't say addictive. It was very attractive, though. That, to me, is a lot of the outdoors, too, right? Yeah. In that, isn't that? I, in fact, that was my next question that I wanted to run by you guys, because I've spent some time thinking, what is it, uh, and my, my listeners of my podcast will have heard me muse on this before a little bit, but what is it about the outdoors and hunting in particular that has been so attractive to me as I've moved out of organized religion, which really was such an important part of my life. Being oh, a pastor. I'm, I'm going to follow on, on some stuff on that. Yeah. With and you. a theologian. And I yeah. mean, this was, this was my whole life. Right. And, um, but then, uh, due to, you know, cer- different circumstances that chapter ended for me and I found great solace and connection in, in the wilderness and particularly in hunting, but also in, paddling in the boundary waters and 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 fishing i'm not so much of a fisherman but i i'm gonna start fly fishing after when i'm an empty nester in about a year and a half then yep. i've committed to multiple people who are like you gotta fly fish so i'm gonna fly fish okay okay <laughs> but one of the things it's, i'm not gonna like it but i'm gonna do it exactly. Exactly. i've had so many like the river Y. I'm like uh, you know yeah, what right, i mean right, i right, i right. uh uh i have a, i have a story uh, Norm McLean uh, went to, or, you know, the, the McLean went to Dartmouth, and there's a scene in the movie, you know, River runs through it, where he goes to college, and there's these black and white photos of Dartmouth in the 30s, and any Dartmouth man gets like little heart palpitations uh-huh. during that <laughs> scene of the movie when he goes away mm-hmm. and then comes back, and you know, etc., yeah, etc. Yeah. But um, so I, I, there's a place in my heart for fly fishing, and I'm just reserving it. Well, throw for, poppers for those smallmouth and, and big streamers for those pike. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, you ain't got to throw the number 20 whatever <laughs> 20 e- ephemeral. Again, <laughs> at, yeah, I've got a lot to learn. Yeah. Griffith um, snatch. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, I mean, it's, it's similar to what you say about climbing. I think it's that uh, for me, hunting, okay, in particular – Upland bird hunting, I, my, my, my most favorite hunting is group pheasant hunting in South Dakota. So I'm with a bunch of guys, bunch of dogs. There's, uh, you know, there's, there's birds out in that field. And, all, you know, there's a bunch of guys with firearms. And there's uh, badger holes <laughs> that right. you could break an ankle. There's a lot to pay attention to. My point being, when I do it, everything else falls away. Yeah, right. Yeah. And in my life... Even as a writer, it's so hard sitting at my computer every day, uh, not, you know, the phone buzzes, ah, put the phone up in the kitchen, you know, and then it's like, turn off all the notifications on my computer so nothing pops up. And then, oh, but then I see my wife walk through the, I can see through the kit door, my, my kid comes down and he's looking in the refrigerator and I know he's standing with the refrigerator doors open <laughs> for 10 minutes yep. and I'm I like, my blood pressure is going, I'm like, no, I need to write, I need to write. Yeah. But when I hunt, yeah. uh, it all fades away and I, I'm, it just seems to me very few things in modern life demand Total focus, right. total concentration, yes. and it's all. And, and here's what it here's what it seems to me: 
This is what I was always told in organized religion that prayer was supposed to be like. And it was never like that for me. Right. It was never a total focus. Right. It was always my mind wanders. Ah, and I try to get back onto, you know, etc. So I wonder for you guys, your passion for hunting and fishing, what part of it fills something in your soul that that keeps drawing you back to it? Have you thought about that? What is it? I mean, it's it's. Um, I mean, the question of why why do I hunt? The, the the practical answer to that initially is, well, I grew up with it. That My dad took us out, and my brothers and I out hunting, and that's what we did. That was just the way we lived. Um, so you're sort of indoctrinated, not by choice, but just by your upbringing and, and, and those, those, uh, those family connections. Uh, as you get older, you start contemplating it, think, thinking about it more. And, and it is exactly like you said. I, th- I think when you are out in wild spaces and i'll be honest that's why i I actually for me um less so a prairie setting like you with pheasants for me it's more the deep woods of the north Mm -hmm. like when i'm back and i'm walking ridges either for for that were that are filled with white pine red pine either for grouse or for deer or for turkeys what have you that is a space that you are in a surrounding that is so natural and you have to be focused if you're mm-hmm. going to be successful at it. Right. It's not superficial appreciation of the, the physical beauty. It's that and looking at the ground, looking for sign, paying attention. And that combo is there's something magical about it. Yeah. And, and I guess I would relate... I would relate a fishing scenario. I think that I had a I had a fishing experience a number of years ago, maybe five years ago, that I think maybe illustrates what you're talking about there. Where I used to fly fish a lot. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call myself a fly fisherman. I go fly fishing as mm-hmm. one of the methods to, to fish because I don't <laughs> tie my own flies. I'm not that deep into it. Um, but I was down in Whitewater State Park, south, southeast Minnesota. And I, there was this pool. I, I, I knew there was a fish in there. And so I was just working it, and I was working it again. I would go fish some other areas, and I'd come back. I'd be like, I know there's something down in there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get one. And I hooked into a fish, brought it up, released it. I was releasing that, that fish. I don't eat all my fish, but mm-hmm. I do eat a lot of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, I suddenly had this moment of, everything went away like literally i physically experienced all of that refrigerator being open wife walking by the office the the mailman outside the distractions of daily routine it literally just washed away and i was Mm. in that moment and i thought about this you and i and ed we were we were out hunting turkeys a couple of days ago on the way out here we drove out we went to hunt turkeys and that's when i when i said I'd love to just spend a week here because it takes me on hunting. It takes longer. It takes me three days maybe to get into that, into the zone of where I'm here now. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking those, I'm walking those woods and I'm, and I'm part of that environment, but it takes that long. The inhabitant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, um, so yeah. And I, 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 without leaving the climbing things, so I used to, uh, I didn't. I didn't do this for long. But I used to carry like I change. I would change like into a pair of shorts or change into to change your reality. 
like before you do some a, a climb that was like serious. And in hunting, when I was in high school, which I did not enjoy. You didn't enjoy high school? No, okay. I did not. I didn't enjoy uh, any, any part of the schooling experience. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I'm, I'm all for public schools, and I'm, I love education because I don't want to live in a society with dullards. But for me personally, I, I did not enjoy it, the, the experience. Um, but uh, I would come home, and I would usually go squirrel hunting. Or um, we, we could deer hunt too, but not, not as much back then. But uh, squirrel hunting or rabbit hunting. And I would count down from 100. This is something I still do. Hmm. And when I got to zero, I would, like, open my eyes and I would, like, let's see. We've changed the reality now. Hmm. You've left behind the, like, the sweat and the yelling and the cacophony of, of gym class and the and the hallways and stuff. And I would inhabit. I would I would step into, attempt to. It didn't always work, yeah. you know. You're like, oh, wow, I wonder what that gal's doing, you know. You, your mind will wander. But um, I would attempt, consciously attempt, to step into another reality. And a lot of times it worked. You know, each of you guys have, if each of you guys have described something that a theologian would look at and say, there's something quasi or proto-religious about it. So for instance, the reason that um, if you go to Europe, it's not so much in our churches in America, which are based on a much more egalitarian, old congregationalist meeting house in New England kind of scenario. But if, you, if you've ever been to Europe and you walk into a cathedral, you walk into St. Peter's, yep. say, or you walk into Notre Dame, the, the point of that architecture is for you right. to leave one reality... Right. And move into another right. reality. Yep. And the whole reason basilicas are designed the way they are is to sweep you forward and up, forward and Far up out. Mm. into the uh, apps where you see a mosaic of Jesus on the throne or what, or the Virgin Mary or whatever. But that's the, the point of that architecture is, is that. And then, Mark, Damn. what you're talking about is, it's true, it's true. And then what you're talking about is, is, is like an epiphany experience, mm. right? Like a revelation type of experience. That's... That's what religious people have those type of like, I had this moment, something happened that had never happened to me before. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you don't have those every day. So the right. way you stay religious or whatever is you hang on to the memory of that. You somehow, you somehow codify. I mean, this is what religion does. You somehow codify the, the, the that transcendent experience yeah. yeah and you say well yeah. let's sing about it in a hymn every sunday it's not going to happen every sunday yeah. we're just going to sing about it yeah. every sunday. but for me in in religion when uh i went to church as a child my parents insisted on that and um i always loved the hymns mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um less so the episcopalian stuff although they were good too um, the Baptist hymns, the Baptist hymnal, and I have the Baptist hymnal on my shelf at home, and I still read it. And I, I love the I love the words, and I love the I love the experience. Mm-hmm. And my father would actually sing. He was a really good singer. He mm-hmm. didn't sing like outside of church, but he would. And um and and I think that was interesting to me mm-hmm. as like a little kid. Um, I was like that. You know, this is something that you know men do. Right. Yeah. Like it, yeah. It's, this ain't this ain't it ain't like a uh, um. It, this is something you could you. It's it's okay to sing and be exalted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know I can I I mean I can dig it. I I am an agnostic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'm I go with W uh, E O Wilson on that. You know. <laughs> I mean I go with E O Wilson on just about everything. I kind of relax my <laughs> intellectual strivings. But uh, <laughs> E O Wilson said I I'd, I'd be a fool if I told you I knew. 
He said, I'm a scientist. Yeah. He said, I, I, I said, I can't tell you it ain't there. He didn't say this. He, what he's saying is, I can't tell you it ain't. Yeah. I can't tell you it is. Right. But he said, I, you know, I'd be lying if I said I knew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what he described himself as. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think, I mean, that's right. So let me throw this out as, as, uh, as sort of the next, next conversation point uh, of our ramblings. And that is, you know, in the context of, of today, um, you know, we got a lot of deep conversations going on at sessions at night, et cetera, uh, about the outdoors, about hunting, fishing, who's doing it, who isn't doing it, um, how, do we, how do we engage people in it. Is hunting even relevant in 2022? Is, is it? Does it have a relevance? We're talking about deep stuff here. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people would say, no, it doesn't. It, we don't need to do it, practically speaking. Um, and or, you know, in this, in this age we live in, um, we're, we do not want to cause harm. We do not want to have see pain, uh, of which that is an inherent characteristic of the hunting uh activity and so uh what do you think i mean is 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 it relevant yes or no and if so why and i'm gonna get us some beers okay (laughs) (laughs) um do you want to start go ahead al well i i i i come across this a lot um this this question or whatever and it's it's good it's interesting because i don't it doesn't work for me um, I can no longer, I, I, I can't remember what Native American was that said it, but I can no, I can I'm not me if I'm, if I'm not a hunter. Right. And I was, Absolutely. I was, so I, it's existential for you. It's existential yeah. for me. Yeah. Thank, yeah. thank you. Yeah. 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 Um, and, um, when, uh, I mean, I was working one time on a reclamation job, Black Mesa coal mine down in Arizona and it was October, like, I think it was like the opening weekend, October 25th, you know? And I, I was just like, I'm, I'm going to continue to do the job. I'm getting paid, right? But I couldn't even, I couldn't think. I, I couldn't. It was just, I was like, I got to get home. I got to get this job done. I got to get home. And this last year, November 11th, I was, I was, I was called. I was working to make a living. <laughs> and uh, November 11th, I mean, I booked home. I went to bed. I got up and I left. I went hunting. And, and you know, thankfully I had been working long enough that 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 like i just hunted day after day and i was finally successful which was not it was also a fluke actually i mean i can shoot i can get deer usually um but i i, I got an elk and i was but i it, it, it nothing else was going to happen mm. yeah. and my wife will tell you the same thing she just said well you're that's not going to happen during hunting season is it yeah yeah whatever do, it do is you think do you think that um, that aspect of hunting being so core to your self identity is something you can you could articulate other than saying I wouldn't know who I was if I weren't a hunter to the point that could you to to coin a phrase evangelize somebody else into that no no Mm-mm. it's just part of you yeah yeah that's what I say, I wouldn't know I, how to interpret it for somebody else here's right. the thing even if you could articulate it in the most perfect way. I don't. I think it would fall so short of being go. able right. to 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 convince someone that it's something they should they should do. I mean, I I, I think it just you have to experience it. I've seen but, it time after time. But think of all the people who would never be have never been exposed to it. Who yeah. I mean, I mean. So I've I've ex, I've explained it to myself as um it's DNA. I mean, I I, I go to the cave paintings on the Smith River. 
And I'm like, yeah, I'd paint that. I mean, you know, <laughs> like like this is um, twelve thousand years old. Yeah. Um, I'm in. I, I it, it no sooner. Um, what are the other like hungers? You know, of of mammalian hungers, right? Well, to me, it's a, it's just a mammalian hunger, a predatory hunger. And I, I I like wolves. I like grizzly bears. Me and them, we're we're all we're we're alike. You know. I loved yesterday. Um, George Beta, the from the Shoshone mm-hmm. uh, tribe, did his did his fancy dance, and talked about the Shoshone, uh, the different the the different tribes or the different the different groups, and he talked about the the sheep eaters. Talked about the bison eaters. Talked about the salmon eaters, and I I just love hearing him say that. Just from, and and I want to have a conversation with him. I told him after I said I said I want to talk to you about that, where the identity is so connected yeah. to the game that they that they lived off of, that it would be hard to describe how do you live without that. You know, it is it's just part part yep. of you. And that's where I think, you know, in terms of yeah, I don't think you can explain it. I don't think you can you can effectively explain I mean we call it bison is. culture. Like mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. when people are studying that part of you know, the the plains tribes. Bison culture. I I have such vivid memories of trying to evangelize people to the Christian faith. In college, so like I know the struggle of doing that, and I have this vivid memory of telling. I had a friend in college, I remember, and he was like, "Really, stop telling me about Jesus. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not." Go-. And I said to him, "I'm like, here's here's what it's like for me. This is the best analogy I could come up with. I'm like, I've seen the greatest movie in the world, and I think everyone needs to see this movie. This movie changed my life. You got to go see this movie. I can't stop talking about this movie. And he's like, God damn it, I don't want to see the movie. Like, yeah. it's just not interesting to me. Right. And to me." I remember that moment because I remember confronting the reality that here was somebody whom I cared about and a dear college buddy of mine. And he just like the most important thing in my life. And he just closed the door on it. It, Mm -hmm. it, We weren't going to talk about it anymore. It was over. There was nothing I could say that could get him over the line, you know? So I, I know the struggle, um, of that, of trying to articulate it. Mark, I'll answer your question in two ways. That I think, um, why I think hunting is relevant. And in in ways that I think a vast majority of Americans, if you set them up with the premise, they would agree with the premise. Okay, so here's the first premise. We don't uh, have enough appreciation of where our food, particularly our meat, comes from. You tell that to almost any American, and they're like, yeah, it's totally true. Totally like, true. We get our <laughs> chicken. It's wrapped in saran wrap at the grocery store. You get it at Costco, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, so we can solve that by hunting. Like, there's, there's a way to address that dearth that we each have as Americans. So that's the one. And then the second is, I would say, um, we're... We, we're very much out of touch with death. We have, we have sequestered death away. And, and all, all, all human beings who preceded us till the last 100 years, they were confronted with death all the time, whether it was butchering a chicken in the backyard or grandma dying in, in the living room yeah, on, on the bed, right? Yep. Yep. They yep. saw dead people. They saw dead animals all the time. Now 
death is like sequestered away into a hospital in the ICU and then it tired out then through the (laughs) then through the basement garage of the hospital in the hearse to the you know nurse uh, to to the funeral home and then the embalming Embalming, and the makeup and maybe there's but even where I'm from as as Catholic culture fades there's less open caskets there's less reviewals straight to the incinerator and then you might have the funeral with the urn with the ashes in right. it. Nobody sees the dead body. Yeah, the ultimate, right. the ultimate, like, like disembodiment. Absolutely. And the Stoics had this phrase in Latin, it's memento mori. Remember your mortality. Remember mm-hmm. yeah. your death. Yeah. Okay? And it even goes back to the Roman emperors when they came into Rome a general or an emperor came into Rome for a, um, a triumph after a great victory, and they'd parade all the, all the slaves and all the, all the conquered people, and they'd parade all the, all the treasure that they've stolen, etc. And then a, a very at the end, along came the, the emperor in a golden chariot being pulled by four stags, okay? Wow. And in the chariot with him was a slave whispering in his ear, Remember, you're not a god, you're a man. Remember, you're not a god, you're a man. Wow. And then they killed that slave at the end of the parade. But he was it was this memento mori. Remember your mortality, okay? Wow. Hmm. You see you see um middle you see paintings from the Renaissance and you see the paintings of the great painters of light, right? Like um, like Rubens or something. Yeah. And he'll paint a uh, fruit and there'll be a brace of pheasants and then there's what? A skull. A skull. Yep. That was remem- mm. remember your mm. death. That's awesome. And I think hunting more than 30 years in the church of being a pastor and a theologian and hearing sermons about death, nothing is like watching a white tail die in front of me. Yep. Absolutely. Those big brown eyes, yep. they're struggling to live. I have, yeah. I, I have inflicted a mortal injury on this mammal. Yeah. With whom I share more than I di- di- don't share. I mean, I'm more similar to that oh, deer yeah. than I am dissimilar. So why do we? And I think I wonder if this is if this is primarily Western and, and, and American culture. Uh, it's just Western culture. Let's just let's just more generalize it like that. Um, Denot has this obsession with denial of death. Is it is it due to? Uh, a, a, an imperative of of it's a weakness, and we can't show a weakness, and we don't want to acknowledge and a weakness. You know, I mean, dying is a weakness. Exactly, dying is yeah. a weakness, and, and we don't want to, We don't want to acknowledge a weakness. Well, I'd like to ask you, Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm not sure if it's that. I know that would be true if you were younger. Yeah. You know, certainly, it's not weak to die when you're 90, and yet we still. I, I, so my question to a, a person of, of theologian. Um, I think it's in the scriptures somehow interpreted that death is, um, well, it's not though, because you're going to heaven and like, um, Nathan Bedford Forrest, you know, who was pretty weird dude, right? He used to ride with his hand held up because he thought it put more blood in his heart. I mean, he had some really weird, weird theories, but he was, I mean, he was a very effective person. Yeah. And he said, um, he said one time they said, man, we're riding that horse right through that, you know, storm of mini balls. Right. And he said, I, only the, my, only my maker knows the hour of my taking in battle. I'm as safe as I am at home in bed. 
And so I'm, I'm wrong about that. I don't think it's a religion. Well, but no, that's that, what, what that, a, that's a very common belief among religious people that the hour of your death is known to the divine, right. but not known to you. So it almost doesn't matter what you do. But, but I, most people so, don't live like that. So then why do why do we keep people do such heroic attempts to keep people alive in the hospital until all of their savings are drained out and the kids are like out in the yard going like, whoa, at least we got the car. I, <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like if that were that. true, if that theology were, were taken to heart, I, it, it wouldn't bother me a bit to be. I mean, like, it's like I'm heading for, for uh, Zion. I'm heading for paradise. I, I think I mean, I, I think it's and I throw that out about about, you know, not showing weakness as one little sort of. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I've never thought about that. It's very possible. I, I think it could be an well, element. Look how much we admire people like on Everest who, who had what that guy we were talking about um, into thin air last night. Yeah. Dude had his face frozen to the ground. Right. <laughs> and he wakes up that that doctor from Houston. Yes. Yeah. He wakes up. He peels his face off and he goes the Calvary ain't coming. And he. Humps it back to the tents. But we love that. Yeah. yeah. He didn't die. Yeah, yeah. Right. And yeah. I think, that, exactly. And I, and I, think, I, think, <laughs> I think there's an element of it of not yeah, showing weakness and death is a weakness. But, I mean, the example you just said of, of keeping people alive, now now it gets so complicated in yeah. terms of, 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 of uh, you know, stalling death, keeping it further out. There's economic reasons. Yep. And th- th- now we get into Western culture, we get into American culture of creating industries and capitalism right. that, that, that are, they're built upon, built around this yep. and, and making as much money as possible. But I also think, th- I also think there's the component of, you could call it the Bambi's, uh, uh, you know, era or, or any number of different things of, of where we don't want we do, we also don't want to acknowledge pain. Either we're causing pain, right, or or that pain pain exists. Maybe I I don't know. I have a much more visceral reaction to causing pain to a dog or a deer than I do of um, not killing the dog, but but shooting a deer. I want to shoot. I want I want to kill that. I want one shot down, and um, all and of you that. Feel that way about, and do you feel that way about a fish? Probably not so much. Not so much. Or a squirrel? Or the, a squirrel the squirrel I do, the I pheasant mean, a little a, bit different. There's these right? weird there's gradations. A, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, there is. I think yeah. there's a spectrum. And yeah. the closer, the, because we tend to anthropomorphize huh? animals. And so I call it like, I call it the eyelash rule. If an animal has yeah. eyelashes, people don't want to kill it. Wow. Like a deer, you know, or whatever. Because they make, well, look, it's, it's one of the reasons that, um, humans love dogs so much is there's a particular muscle in a dog's face so that they can make sad eyes in yep. a way that a wolf cannot. Yep. That's and it's awesome. Right? And so, <laughs> yeah. we, and so we bond to these animals, these dogs, because they look at us in this way. Um, here's what I'd say, Mark, yeah. to your question. Is, could, yeah. Yeah. And they've evolved looking at us that way because they wanted to <laughs> right. be in camp. Correct. Ca- catching Absolutely. the scraps off Absolutely. of that buffalo. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And then... And then but then they were also they you know a, a do- in that evolutionary cycle of the dog human partnership dogs are very light sleepers allowing allowing homo sapiens to sleep through the night 100%. so that our brains could grow bigger right. and some you know some evolutionary biologists think think that maybe that's what the neanderthals did not have yeah was they did not have dogs hmm. yep. guarding camp Allowing eight hours of sleep and probably uh, no doubt putting bison and sheep into the into the thing you built. 
Uh-huh. And so um, Dr. Larry Todd, who is a hero of mine, he's a high-altitude archaeologist in Wyoming, he, he told me, like, not being a scientist or nothing, he just said, I think we're so uh, psychologically or whatever integrated with dogs mm-hmm. um, that um, we, that earlier men or women actually experience extreme anxiety if the dogs weren't around. Hmm. Oh. Because you, this is your guard. Yeah. This yeah. is the guy who puts the sheep into into the trap you made. Mm-hmm. This is the guy who pulls the travois. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you got to tote all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, um, right. You can eat the guy if, if, if things go really bad. Yeah. But but um, he said there are b- dog bones in every bison jump that he's ever been on back really? to the Ukraine. So the dogs ran the bison off the cliffs. Yes. And I said, did, they, did the dog's bones small? Like, did they eat the dogs, you know? And he said, oh, not much. He said, these are older dogs, stuff. They died and they, in, off, they, in, they ran off the cliff, too. No, oh. they often were buried. Oh. With, with some with oh. some ceremony. Oh, interesting. Huh. Yeah. Um, we've been doing this, you know. It was we were talking about the feral cats, and everybody hates the cats. They're killing all the birds, yeah. and I was just like, dude, we've been with the cats <laughs> in the cave, <laughs> and and we knew what bubonic plague was. It was rats, <laughs> and who eats the rats? <laughs> it's the cats. So like, you can, it, I know they kill a lot of birds. It's terrible. Yeah. But me and cats, we're on the same team. I, I'm, I'm hi- I hang out with cats. I watch cats. I keep track of feral cats. I, I, was, I know that dude. You know, he lives over in so and so's garage or barn. We're, we're like, I, I, I think this is a beautiful thing about hunting as well. Um, I think we're all we're psychologically together. Like it's like even even game animals and us and all that. I think it's a. I think there's. I, I think there's a supernatural, supernatural being simply a natural phenomenon that we do not understand. Yes. You know, um, I want to get to your question, but on the on the, on, on, <laughs> it's on a the, tough on, one <laughs> on, on the do, on the dog thing and on the death thing. This was an interesting thing that uh, every year uh, on, on New Year's Eve. My wife and my three, they're my three kids and my wife is their stepmom. And the five of us go out to the St. Pizzeria Lola in South Minneapolis. And we um, take, uh, we, we talk about the things we're saying goodbye to from the former year and the things we're saying hello to in the coming year. And we read last year's and then we, then they actually That's throw awesome. in the pizza oven at 900 degrees. They throw the... We have this little tradition. They throw it in the pizza oven. It burns up the things that we're saying goodbye to. And then the last year's things we're saying hello to. That's cool. Because some things we hoped to do and some things we didn't. And this last year um, when we were doing it at the end of 2021, we asked the kids uh, what was the most, you know, what, what is one thing you're saying goodbye to? And my oldest kid, Tanner, is 22. He was 21 at the time, I guess. And he said that being with our dog when he was euthanized in our it had to be in our backyard because of covid so the vet came it's a house kind of a deal and we're with him in the backyard and i thought to myself i don't that was the most significant thing that to him that happened in the year and he's going to college and he's traveling yep. the world and blah 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 but it was being there as the dog died in our arms and I thought, I wonder, he's probably never seen anything die before other than a mm-hmm. pheasant or whatever, but right. nothing he was emotionally connected or right. spiritually connected to. And I thought, okay, so your question of why we fear death, I think human beings, a, a corp, and, and they're philosophers, and look, I'm not making this up. This is like, this is Kierkegaard, okay, that we have at our very core existential dread. 
Human beings have existential dread, and religions try to mitigate that dread by right. saying, you're going to live forever. Right. You're going to go to another place that's even better, streets of gold, you know, and, and everybody's awesome. And, uh, you know, it's like having an eternal orgasm is how awesome it is. <laughs> that's how awesome it's going to be, right? Or whatever, nirvana, you name right. it. Like every religion promises Rivers this. Rivers of wine. Yeah, they promise yeah. this to say, to try to mitigate the existential dread. And the, what the Stoics said was, you got to face that existential dread. Mm. And if you live every day remembering that you're going to die, you'll live a better day mm. that day because you're like, I'm going to die. So you're going to make the most out of that day. So people sometimes read Stoicism and think, God, that sucks. How depressing. You're constantly thinking about your own death. But the Stoics were like, it's the opposite. In yeah. fact, it's the opposite, it's the opposite right, of right, depressing. Right. Because it reminds you how valuable this day right, is. Right. This day is a treasure. Yeah. And if you bear that in mind. So I think. Mm. I'm all, I love that. I yeah. think by. Yeah. I I'm think, raising my hand. Yeah. <laughs> I think, we'll have an altar call at the end. By, by I think. To answer your question, why do we hide away death? Yeah. Because it's a way of mitigating our existential dread. Yeah. Because yeah. when yeah, we see grandma die yeah. in the living room, right. like you saw in 1850, yeah. you're like, shit, I'm going to die that too. Could, yeah, exactly. I'd rather not think about that. But it's, yeah. So isn't that a fear of the weakness yeah, of sure. I'm going to well, die, yeah. right? Yeah. You know? and, and so, um, your mortality. Yeah. I, I go back to Ghost Dog. Which um, you know, Forrest Whitaker's um, this, the, the the American Samurai, um, you know the movie, yeah, yeah. And he said, yeah. and he has that. He he does that cool voiceover where he goes every day. You should imagine the samurai should imagine himself being thrown off of cliffs or torn <laughs> apart by a pack of wild dogs, and and to to, to prepare him, they say yeah, the very same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And so that so that when you know as a samurai, like somebody's going to try to kill you, you know. So when this happens, it's like you're you're already free, right? That's um, right. the the Rilke poem, and he says, "Oh my God, if I don't want to mess this up," but he says, um. The animal, the free animal, lives with his death behind, and his life opening up before him like flowers in the sun. Mm. And if mm. you, if you will, read that's the eighth Duino elegy yeah. mm. of Rilke. That is, yeah. The free animal lives with his death already behind. Yeah, and and he and he goes on to talk about people who are. They live with the death in front of them and, and filled with dread. Yeah. And so they miss yes. the moment of which, of which they've been given. Now, the only real gift you'll ever be given, the only, the only immutable gift, right? So, so culture right now, okay, it's 2022. Culture right now, young culture, um, values transparency, right? Everything's transparent. We, we, we need to That's know. That's kind of funny because it, t- transparency is at a low ebb. <laughs> oh, right. Exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. But it's like, to me, like that is, that is the ultimate of, of transparency of acknowledging your mortality. Right. And, and facing and understanding that for you to live, something else has got to die. Yep. That's the question. That's the point that people don't want to acknowledge, and they're yep. trying to they're trying to avoid it a lot of times. I think with again how they eat, how they live, what have you, and they're trying to deny that there is death for life, and that exchange that occurs. They're trying to they're trying to cheat the equation. Yeah, uh-huh. right. Well put. <laughs> 
you know, and 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 that's the piece of it. That's that's the I think the cultural, the psychological piece of it of, of why but, hunting's valuable. Why it's valuable? Why it's valuable? Yeah, because it's 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 un it's it's not abstract. Exactly, it's very transparent. And um, I'm trying to go back to a time. I always, my daughter has killed some deer, you know, bucks and stuff in the backcountry too, and uh. She's a very goal-oriented person. She likes she likes goals, okay. and and killing that deer was her goal. Yeah, and yeah. then when she gets it, um, she's messed up to before too. I mean, you know, it's, this is not some kind of like like, um, she, but she's she's pretty good. Yeah, um, and uh, I, I I asked her one time. I was like, you know, do you feel bad about this? Like, and um, she doesn't. The goal is achieved. Yeah, um, she loves animals. Yeah. Like she's a in pre vet and she's like the best dog person ever. But um, I, there is a very big dichotomy here. I, yes. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, I was starting to wander into this, and I'm like going, I don't know. I, I so, but but being goal oriented. So um, when my kids were younger, they lived at home, and we didn't want to buy meat, partially because we could, didn't want to spend the money. Um, I I don't. I didn't have a whole, I, I was really happy when I put three deer in the back of the truck or uh, I had three tags or whatever. Um, I killed fairly with, with, with um, a goal in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's what most people have done. Like when they're running the bison off the cliff yeah. and stuff, they're like, Woo-hoo! yeah, you know, meat. Um, and I was so pr- happy. I'm not, I'm not sure about proud. I was super happy to have those three deer hanging in the barn. And take a day off and go skin and cut meat. I'm going like, holy smokes, we are we are in, we are in, buddy. There is there good is times. there is something visceral about an animal hanging, a stack of wood, a firewood. Comfort, yes, that is just like that. I get a feeling, a warmth inside that is like, oh, that is wealth. Right there, that is wealth, yep. and it's comfort, and it's and so. It's right assurance. there is your relevance, maybe. Yeah, I mean, and it does. It can't be for everybody because, like, I think Matt Ranilla said, if everybody was recruited to go hunting, they'd be a uh, you'd be a draw only on gray squirrel. <laughs> you know, Matt. But, you know, <laughs> exactly. I listened to that podcast, you know, and um, but uh, he it was like, I mean, it can't be for everybody because there's there's eight billion people. But yeah, exactly. But no, for it, those it of us who no, still it value it, but it, but it's like, okay, well, that's a whole tangent. I mean, we're four percent of the U.S. population right now. We're mm-hmm. such a small percentage. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's so so it's it's such a minority, uh, and it's and it's got all kinds of implications. Every one of them is in my spot. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> there we go. I don't know how they figured it out. <laughs> My next question to you guys is, is this one is can we um can we as a species can we get beyond the desire to hunt? Okay, I just ask you, is it relevant in twenty twenty two? We all have our opinions on that and pretty similar, but you know, let's say somebody thinks it's it's we've moved beyond it, or we should move beyond it. Can we get beyond the desire to hunt, or is it so ingrained? So I'll give you an example. Um, I've for the last few years I've been doing these butchering clinics in my garage. Okay, I get a deer, and I invite people over. And you get a permit from the city of Minnetonka to do that, I'm sure. 
<laughs> editor, exactly. editor. Exactly. I just, I just get a permit. I go in my backyard, get that deer. So I do a butchering clinic, and I have people come over. I just tell people, I just say, hey, stop on over if you want. And I've had people come that have no desire to hunt, but they want to understand what this process is. Mm-hmm. I've had other times when we've been shooting a video of butchering an animal, oftentimes a deer. And my son, when he was young, he's probably four or five years old. He'd come out and be like, can I have one of those bones? I need one of those bones. I want a bone. Mm-hmm. He wanted the bone. So I believe there is just like this innate, again, to your point earlier, the connection, the connection to the world, the connection to the animals, um, the connection to eating, the connection to understanding how we break down an animal, how it becomes, how the animal transitions from this being to food, to meat. Uh, my obviously, I mean, I I got my opinion. I think you guys agree. I, I don't think there's any way we could ever get beyond that. I mean, I think we would have to so fundamentally change as a species to not have that desire, that connection to those animals. I, I think about the Jains, the J A I N S, the, mm-hmm. the sect, and that wears the mask so that they don't inhale any bugs. And um, I'm sure they're vegans, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yep. um, you know that in, in India. Oh, in India. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And um, so maybe some for some of us, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I I I, I disagree, Mark. Okay. Sadly, yeah. sadly. Okay. I think. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I'm happy to disagree with you. I love I know it. That. I, I know that. I know you do. But uh, <laughs> I think with plant-based proteins, pea protein going into Impossible Burgers and. And then, you know, growing uh, meat. And you and I have had conversations about this before. Yes, we have. Growing meat in a lab. lab. I do think we have the potential that we would evolve past that you, uh, that kind of whatever you're saying, that, that existential longing to butcher, know where our meat comes from, get blood under our fingernails Chase. and flesh. Chase. Yeah, yeah, all that. I do think... Potentially, we will evolve as a species beyond that need and desire. How long it, will it take? I think it's I, well, not long. <laughs> what? Really? Not, you, I think, think it, you think it I can... think not long. Like it would take a gen- – what's a generation? 20 no. years? A generation – A generation so. or two when, when there is – because back to the question of why do we um, – why do we hide death away from ourselves? We have agency. We're doing this – on purpose, we're hiding death away from ourselves on purpose, and I think it's evolutionarily bad. And yet, there's something that we're we're doing it. And I think similarly, it'll be very. I think there's a lot of money involved in protein. Okay, so I think there's a huge incentive, big time, for corporations to figure out how to feed eight billion people without killing animals. It'll be cheaper, it'll be yep. cleaner, it'll be better for the environment, etc. I think something huge will be lost. It might be like um, we might be, uh, those of us who hunt or our, 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 um, our successors who hunt, you know, our progeny who hunt, might be like kind of um, like people who do Civil War reenactments. Or like, let, how so? Like, like let's show you what it used to be like. Oh. Come watch a hunt. Yeah. 
come and, watch a hunt. And, wow. then, and then there'll be people who are repulsed by that. Yeah. And they'll say, like, it'll be like smoking. It'll just yeah. get right. smaller and smaller. But, yeah. but let me, let me I, I'll have a caveat. Um, so eventually, we, as we were talking about, the population of, the, of human beings is going to decline somewhat, right? It's already, right. We're, that's already in, in, the, in the vision, the, on, the, on the horizon. Um, so I think that, that perhaps there will be a resurgence of the, I don't think that the, that the, the inner gene, the, the chase gene, the hunting gene, whatever that is, um, will disappear. I think, I think it may, it may be extremely rare and disappear for a while. It might be ostracized and all that stuff. But just like you see in the Ukraine, like we thought we were beyond that kind of war as well. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and it's, it's kind of, and it is kind of a, um, it's kind of bad to think that because it was happening in Syria. It was happening all over. But, but we like, thought there's not going to be another land war in Europe. Not another land war in Europe. <laughs> right, and, right, and, right, of course, right. and, they're, and they're doing that with great abandon. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, I think that the pea protein thing will probably serve for, for some transitional things. Um, this is, you know, and I, I God, one of the things that I notice in, in these long conversations, deep conversations, if I, if I stand outside myself, how often I'll act from my own, I want speak from my own biases. Mm-hmm. Even though as a journalist, I've spent like 30 years attempting to, to uh, question and examine personal bias. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, this is my bias. I believe that in, on the other side of this uh, human eruption, our RUP, where the, the species explodes, fills the niche, and then, and then declines, there's, there's going to be hunting. Hmm. And perhaps whaling, you know, and, yeah. and, and back to just like, I, I just, I'm, a, I, I'm drawn to the visceral. Okay, I, okay, then I want to agree with you that hunting, look, it, in, a, in a post-apocalyptic scenario, yes. But I'm not talking about apocalypse. You're not. I'm talking, no, I'm talking about gradual decline, okay. um, which is more likely to me. Why, if there were less people in the world, wouldn't they, wouldn't... Um, Plant-based proteins be easier, be easier, and whatever. Yeah, why wouldn't they do that? I believe that someday somebody's going to stand on the edge of the Great Plains, mm-hmm. and it's probably going to be more like weeds and, and stuff, like weedy. It'll be we won't really recognize it, and they'll be like getting some plant proteins, eating, and somebody's going to go, man, will you look at those <laughs> buffalo. Really? Sick. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I, so you I think agree. the buffalo will I agree. come back? <laughs> well, I think something will come back. Yeah, yeah. What about the fencing? There's being out here in Wyoming, man. Holy shit! Yeah, there shit. are fences yeah. everywhere. And I, I mean, I'm in. I like I said, I hunt in South Dakota, so I hunt in the short grass prairie and the long grass prairie on either sides of the Missouri. And there's some there's fences, you know, but not like here. That man. was one no, hell of not a like turn you took right well, there. Well, this is my question. <laughs> like, <laughs> how, how how would the buffalo ever come back with would the a buffalo with the walk right through a fence? Of, Buffalo walk right through a five strand barbed wire fence. Yeah, is that right? Oh yeah, that's so one reason ranchers are so mad like at them. <laughs> right, okay, exactly. so I want to play out this string a little bit. So what's happening is the population's declining. So every everyone's becomes more and more urban. There just aren't people living in Wyoming. There aren't ranchers in Wyoming well, anymore. I mean, how many people do you think are going to be on the Great Plains when the Oglala Aquifer goes dry? Yeah, yeah. Like we, we've pumped it what twenty four yeah. feet. Yeah, like you go down to Amarillo and it's and it's like they're extending well bits. I mean, uh, uh, pipes. Yeah. So um, it's John Wesley Powell. But then, buddy, John Wesley Powell said, "Not beyond the hundredth meridian, don't settle." They settled it anyway. It was a disaster. Then they found the Oglala. Mm-hmm. They're pumping the Oglala 
like nobody's business. Yeah. So, I mean, how many people are going to be in Kansas when that thing's dry? Dry land I, farming doesn't really work yeah. up west of the hundreds. It doesn't work every year. I want to just inc- I want to say to both of you guys and all the listeners in, in this regard to read and you're not a science fiction guy I know but Kim Stanley Robinson's book The Ministry of the Future okay. read in fact listen to it on audiobook that's the best okay. way to consume it okay. it's insane on this it's not an it's not apocalyptic but like a little mini apocalyptic event happens that kills 10 million people in India and then everyone's like oh shit now suddenly people are like we got to take it seriously is it too late? What can we do? And then it's all about water and animal protein and gotcha. redistribution of, of, of population and, popu- and population decline to let's get back to an equilibrium that actually works on this planet. So Ministry of the Future, Kim Stanley Robinson. Just, cool. a little, just throw a little book recommendation what, in there. Have you ever heard of um, Paolo Bacigalupi? No. He has a, he has a book called The, the Water... Something it's it's a post not apocalyptic but it's in the west after the war, it's gone dry and there and it's just they they get rid of tamarisk right which sucks all the water up anyway I I, I have never okay. read the book I was wondering if you no, as a as a person it. in that genre I don't know it that's interesting so back to the original <laughs> question <laughs> we're gonna talk about the tamarisk <laughs> so I think I think relative to to that I, I guess what I'm getting back to maybe is the genetic coding that we sort of understand but not really understand and the guy yesterday morning who's a friend of um, of the fancy dancer guy mm-hmm. um, s- talked about his sort of uh, interest in this genetic imprinting of previous generations. And this guy was like, he was like, ah, the people are probably sort of thinking of me as a crackpot. But this this idea of previous generations Im- having their experiences imprinted in the DNA transferring. Uh, and, and he's like, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, um, um, reincarnation type of guy. I'm not like, I don't believe in any of that. Right. Or but like, I believe he said, you know, that there's this imprinting that goes on. So in, in the guise of that and thinking about, again, my five-year-old son going, I want that bone. Can yeah. I have that bone? The people going, I want to understand how to cut meat. How does an animal turn into meat? I believe that it is so ingrained in our DNA over such a long period of time that there's no way in one generation that can be erased. It might try to be erased and we'll do something, but I think it's more along the lines of I'll be eating this pea protein until until I can get something better. (laughs) (laughs) But is it in five? If it's five generations, could it go away? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Could it go away? I think yes. Okay. Uh, Arguably, you could say... Uh, arguably, you could say that's what's one thing that's imprinted in our genetic code is that men are warriors and fighters. And and I'm not a warrior or a fighter. I mean, I don't even really like watching MMA. I know a lot of guys do, and that maybe is the like genetic residue of warrior culture is watching MMA or and listening to Joe Rogan talk about MMA or something. But um, or I guess some people might say me killing animals is is a, a residue of that. But I do think that, you know, in another five generations or ten, ten generations, maybe there, maybe that residue will have, will have evaporated. I don't know. I, 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 I want to say that those who uh, 
turn their swords into uh, plowshares. Plowshares yeah. shall plow for those who do not. <laughs> um, the uh, I, I think that I think that's a, a kind of a luxurious mm-hmm. thing um, of a, of a moment mm-hmm. because. Um, I, I think that there will be residues of warrior culture in other places, and those who do not embrace it whatsoever and they abandon it completely will eventually be overwhelmed mm. by mm. those who don't. Mm. Um, and I, I, I think, I mean, like, so again, I'm working just, towards my bias. I'm a Darwinian. I'm yeah. a Darwinian, yeah. and I, I'm a I'm a I'm a eccentric person. I guess I don't know, <laughs> but like I, I'm working towards my bias okay. here. Okay. I can imagine that. Um, I mean. I, and I don't, I don't want to be um, nasty, but uh, like what, like, like you've got like um, the the guys who are now in the true the billionaires in our country that that are on TV all the time, mm-hmm. the Amazon founders and stuff like that. Those are not partic- those are not people who would do too well in that battle you were talking Correct. about. Um, and so at this moment in this luxury of this society that so many of them also are like libertarians. Mm-hmm. I'm like going, dude, they're going to put you in a pot. <laughs> like, yeah. like you're pale, you're pasty, you, you know, like, like you can't run. And, yeah. and you claim yeah. you're wanting this like freedom. Well, other people got the freedom too, you know? And, yeah. But so I, I would, I would think that that would be a, a momentary thing. Okay. Okay. So you think that like uh war, uh, and and antagonism is baked in the cake of humanity because religions, and for the it. most part, preach peace. That the that the ideal future is peace, not war. Not all religions, but most religions. But isn't isn't that this aspirational value that that is in combat with the nature of humanity? Yeah, but that's the, a great way to put it. Holy yes, shit. of course. But yeah, <laughs> but the but 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 what Jesus. What Jesus preached was that we can get there. Jesus was not like a pie-in-the-sky idealist. Right. It was pretty, like, here's yeah. what you have to do. If you want to have peace, like, um, uh, uh, turn the other cheek. When somebody hits you, don't strike them back. Right. When somebody steals your outer cloak, give them your T-shirt also. Like, he's like, this is pragmatic stuff to that keep sermon, the peace. That Sermon on the Mount? Yeah. yeah that the Sermon, sermon on the Mount is one of the most beautiful, you know, pieces of, of the Bible. Yeah, it's, oh yeah. It's, it's the one I, I, it's I'm, the high point, I'm, man. It's the it's high the, point. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the greatest hits of the but, Bible. But isn't it sort of countered by Leviticus? Yeah. Or is that like a is that like a layman a, a I mean, dumb person? No, thing no, what you would say is that Jesus looked at the laws of Leviticus and said well, that's not really working. We can do better. So, yeah, here's, let me give you a new, you've heard it said, blah, 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 but I say to you, da, da, da. So right. he took everything. He didn't ever, uh, he didn't, re- I mean, most, I think most theologians would say Jesus didn't ever um, cancel out the old law. Right. He simply uh, said, here's what the old law was meant to do. Yeah. Let's try it this way. Right. Yeah. It's in the same spirit, you know, in the same spirit. Adaptability. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I'm uh, I'm I'm wondering because the religion is also the vehicle of of the great wars. Yeah, hmm. I mean when yeah. you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, well, look here. Here, let me let me throw another anth- uh, an anthropological idea at you that comes from an an- that goes to this. It goes to actually killing animals, and then I have an ethical question I want to ask you guys. But uh, Rene Girard was a great French anthropologist and study studier of primordial myths. And um, his argument ultimately was that what religion, religion allowed society to form because 
uh, what's every human being is uh, ultimately envious of other human beings. So the caveman uh, wants the other caveman's wife, and so they fight, and one of them dies, and then you, you know, Hagar the horrible, you drag away the, right. the by the hair or whatever. I want your club, and then they fight for your club, or I want that cave. And so there's always, uh, it's called, he calls it mimetic rivalry. You see what the other one has, and you, you, you want to mirror his desire of that object, and then you, so it leads to violence. It always leads to violence until along come uh, uh, shamans or priests or whatever, and they say, okay, instead of violence, look, we're going to all gather together, and once a year, we're going to kill a virgin. We're going to throw a virgin into the volcano, and that's, and it, it, sati- it satiates everybody's desire for blood. Hmm. And everyone's like, oh, okay. Well, he calls it a lynching. Mm-hmm. A lynching is when an innocent victim... Mm-hmm. is killed because the mob says there's something inherently evil about that person. And is that the scapegoat? That's the scapegoat. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. This right. is what he talks. And there's a little, there's a little, you know, there's a really weird, one of the weirdest passages in all the Bible is about Azazel, the scapegoat that's sent off into the wilderness and thrown off a cliff for the sins of Israel every year. Um, but... The, the the great innovation of Jews, according to Girard, is they start sacrificing animals instead of humans. Gotcha. All their neighbors oh, were sacrificing okay, humans. Okay. And they're like, oh, no, let, let's just kill a goat. Let's kill an oxen. Hmm. Let's kill doves or whatever. And yep. then, of course, the next evolution of it is yeah. probably what get Je- gets Jesus killed is he goes into the temple during w- the Passion Week and turns over the temples and, and the, releases the animals who are, you know, there to be purchased and then sacrificed right. during the Passover and says, you've turned my father's house in, into a house of, you know, it should be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of iniquity or den of thieves, right? Mm-hmm. So he then goes the next step and is like, we don't even need, you don't even need to sacrifice animals anymore. And then Gerard goes on to say, Jesus ends up being the final, the final, uh, death the final scapegoat because he reveals that wow. the scapegoating mechanism is bankrupt killing animals doesn't actually appease an angry god that that's right. all bull, it's all set it's all a bullshit system yeah. and and jesus reveals that so no longer are animals sacrificed in judaism or in christianity we went kill, deep would, there how does it connect to hunting would you kill your dog <laughs> would you kill your dog Oh, see now you're getting. Would that. you kill your dog? How, like how Abraham and Isaac? How hungry, where are you going? <laughs> how yeah. hungry? I mean, this is obviously an archetypal story. Yeah, yeah. is yeah. that Abraham's yeah. about to kill Isaac? Yeah. Yeah. The Lord stays his hand, and there's a ram caught in the thicket. Yeah. Says, "Kill that!" And this is like this is the pivot for Israel. Oh, we don't kill children anymore. Right now, we kill rams, right. and then we go the next step. So, my question is this. Um, <laughs> you, you can, we kill animals yep. and we eat them. We don't kill animals sacrificially. Right. We don't think it does anything spiritually. Right. It doesn't seem to work. Not, yeah, right. it doesn't yeah. seem to work. Right. Didn't rain. But we we yeah. got we, we killed all the rabbits <laughs> and it still didn't rain. Yeah. It still didn't rain. Yeah. <laughs> so what about killing? Where's the line? We've already talked about like oh you injure a fish and you throw it back and then oh crap. The hook, it swallowed the hook, and then you know, we've, all, we've done this with our yeah. kids, right? And then you see it floating belly up five minutes later. 
He'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, you tell your kid that. You tell your kid, he's just taking a nap. Yeah. <laughs> right. And we laugh about it because it's a fish. Yep. Right. But then right. there's this, dude, 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 we're going down the spectrum. We're going down the spectrum. And you said it before, like the dog back in these primordial societies, they're like, well, worst comes to worst, we can eat the dog. Well, yeah. And, 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 and it's if, true. It's the, if it's the kids that are starving, or your dog, yeah. the, the dog goes. Yeah, right. right. That's and, tough, though. And you tell it's why it, we cry at the end of Old Yeller. Oh hell, I, I freaking love Old Yeller. Exactly. But so, I, I, my question yeah. is, where is this line? Gotcha. We we're talking about killing animals. Yeah, and being we're being uh, honest about killing animals. I guess it's the purpose. It's the purpose and the reason that yeah. that that that's really what it is. In in its the sacrificial spiritual aspect versus the practical yep. uh, side of it. And that's the piece of it that you can't, I, I think you'll never be, we can have a lot of conversation. We all love having this uh, of the spiritual side of it, but I, I think there's the practical, the practical side of it. We can, ne- we can never, we can never disassociate ourselves from, and there's a, a spiritual element to it, but it's not a sacrificial Side it's not it. sacrificial. It's but, not sacrificial. But can I try to marry the uh, the spiritual and the pragmatic? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the the communion that you take, the blood of Christ and all. To I, it, I don't think I don't think I was eighteen, seventeen years old when I realized that shooting whitetails off of this place that like I just loved. I knew every plant there. Grew up on it, dug ginseng down there, looked at my, my mother, and I planted bloodroot. We knew every plant. Um, knew where the dirt was, like, bit thicker over the rocks when you wanted to go plant, like, something. And uh, uh, shooting that whitetail and eating that whitetail was taking communion off of that place. Damn. And yeah. I was 100%. I don't, I mean, dude, I Absolutely. mean, I wasn't very old. Yes. I was like, and, and then drink, drink water out of the spring. And so, Tony, and, and Tony, what's. What's what's the theme of of me of when I was a guest on your podcast? Yeah, and the, yeah, and the other the other side of that is that the early Christians were accused of being cannibals mm-hmm. because ah, word right, right, leaked right, right, right. out. That they yeah, were eating right. flesh and drinking blood in their secret, that in their secret of the <laughs> soul. Right? They were in their secret ceremonies. Yeah. They were eating flesh yeah, and drinking yeah, blood. Yeah. Oh no, they're like, no, yeah, no, no, yeah, it's a yeah, metaphor. Yeah. It's a yeah. metaphor, right? <laughs> right? But it's yeah. like, but that that it's is a bit creepy when you. Well, think. It is, but but it, but that is. I love that story, like you said. It so so. When and it occurred up, to me. I mean, I was I was young. I didn't I didn't read this in a book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, it's it's I, it, when I was on on Tony's podcast years ago. It was it was uh, my dad had this plaque on, on the wall at our cabin. It's still there. It says, "It's better to be it, well, and it's better to be yeah. It's better to be in a fishing boat thinking about God." Than in church thinking about fishing. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. yeah. You know, and it's just and, and, and that and that's it. And that is that is the piece of it that I guess I look at it in terms of okay, the spiritual aspect of the hunt. It is not a sacrificial scenario. It is a scenario, a situation of understanding the human condition, yep. the necessity of death, and looking it straight in the eye and being hyper appreciative right of the opportunity to be here and to be here tomorrow and you're going to be here tomorrow because of that animal dying today right and that is and that's that's a very that's a very 
uh, Native American Indian type of type of 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 philosophy. Well, the most right? spiritual yeah. hunters that I've had on my podcast, like uh, um, um, uh, a, a trans man, now a trans man, but at the time was like a, a called a. Well, you'd have to listen to the podcast. I don't want to get it wrong. My friend Murphy, mm-hmm. who leads hunting expeditions in Vermont, and they um, they talked about and, – and then a, a Catholic priest told me almost the same thing. So think, very, very different on the scale of like a traditional religion or whatever, but they both basically said the same thing, yeah. is that when I shoot a deer, I get the impression that that deer has given – him or herself up to me mm-hmm. and I pass on shots where it seems to me the deer is not and so then sac- the deer is in some ways yes. if you're, if you're, yeah, if yeah, you're yeah, giving yeah, that yeah, deer yeah, yeah. agency yeah. that deer is sacrificing itself yeah, yeah. for the sake of you and your family but Hal I'm really interested in if you could say more about this communion what do you mean it was communion. Well, I mean, so that deer has been eating those same plants and and living in that place. It, it travels, of course, quite a ways. Yeah. But um, it 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 is it's um, it is of that place, and that place is, was ours, and I loved it. So then you end up you're taking that place, You're taking into it in, your own absolutely. Body. And yeah. then and yeah. um, I you know, and I have I don't want to trash talk, but I have no problem have been dumped into that same gully when i'm dead yeah and and man i mean i, I could actually and talking about dying is trash talking because you don't know what yeah. you're gonna think but uh i mean i once i'm dead let's put it that way <laughs> I, and i know i know i know i'm not gonna be worried about it um i had no problem being dumped there mm-hmm. i mean you know bring on the buzzards man buzzards good people mm. you know um I just it's a uh, it's pretty easy for me, and I started hunting so young, and I, I think I went through you know like like evolutions of like like um you know, I remember shooting a squirrel once very young, and I was like this is rough man that that dude didn't want to be killed, and I whacked him and uh, it, I didn't I, was, I remember that but I, like again once you want something for meat. Um, it, it it's all mixed up with communion and goal and simple yeah. pragmatic achievement yeah. and and really enjoying like holy smokes a backstrap steak that that you can't buy for you can't get it unless you kill it and take you know for for those of us who hunt we've got to I think ethically think there is some line between humans and every other animal because there think of how much literature is based on the 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 psychological drama around cannibalism yeah and that that is just anathema so think mm-hmm. of like i knew it was going here by the so way think, <laughs> think of like the book life of pi right or yeah. something that's like the the the, Great the, book. the, the Great psychological movie. gymnastics that character does to avoid the reality yep. of cannibalism, right? Which story or, do you want? Yeah. Remember right. at the end? That's <laughs> right. Do, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and um, there's another great book that I – another science fiction book that's a fantastic book that I recommend called The Sparrow. And what, it, this is just, it's just a subplot, so it's not the spoiler. But what if the prey animal could talk? But it's the what if pheasants or deer could talk? Right? Would you still shoot and eat deer? Yeah. If they could talk to you, 
Because then some people are going to say, well, deer do communicate. Yeah. Right. They would talk, communicate yeah. with each oh, other yeah, on a higher. Sure. They don't have language. Right. But like, as we know language, but they. I think if you're hungry enough, you get past it. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, that, you know, I was thinking of that just a few minutes ago as we were talking. It's like, it, here's the thing. At the end of the day, where we live now in this day and age, we have no clue what hunger is. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That's true. Yeah. And and the power of that, of of that purely from a survival perspective. I mean we have the luxury of debating these these issues, right? Yep. And I think we've taken it to the extreme. Some people well, think I think we there's a great place to be though, because you, you it's like being in college. I, I asked this college class one time, I said, Man, let's just talk about this. Like y'all let's you could debate. It, it rest most of the rest of your life you're gonna be busy. Yeah. You know, and um, so in this place, we, we have the luxury of having this right. conversation, not just because we're in this hotel room, but, but the time we live in. Because if you were starving, if your kids were starving, this is coming back to DNA, then you ain't going to be having this conversation. You're heading out with slingshot or dog or whatever you can get to get the food. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you. No, no, not at all. Well, I think... We've got like six more hours of conversation, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna cut this one now because we got to get to dinner. I'm looking down. Yeah, I'm, I'm very hungry. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I see people out the window, and we didn't get to the um, one of the things about cannibalism is whenever you want to take over somebody else's stuff, most people go like they're cannibals. Oh. You know, mm. and the Sony Bean family of Scotland, yeah. like like whether that was a true story or not, it's one I highly recommend somebody Google, you know, but uh, they lived in a cave. The kids were they, they were multi-generational cannibals. And then the Scots have, I think, like 30, 40 years ago, they said, man, that wasn't even real. Like, they just said that to dehumanize us. Right. Right. Nah. Now, whether it, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But well, anyway, and I, in the, okay. And in, in this. I try to end every conversation I ever have with no, the song cannibal. Beans. With oh, cannibals. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> no, the, 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 there, there's a cannibalism tied to theology, too, because in, in, in the scholastic period, which is the, 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 greatest, the greatest theologian of the scholastic period was Thomas Aquinas. But in the, in the time of Thomas Aquinas, in the 13th, 14th century, when they were in, in the joke, the joke about they argued about how many angels could dance on the head of a pin, mm-hmm. which indeed they argued about. But another thing that they actually had theological debates about was at the resurrection, when the, you know, the sea will give up its dead and people will come back from the grave and people will be back and like this is core to christian theology is there's a bodily resurrection and somehow your actual physical body will be in the new jerusalem same deal you're somehow mm-hmm. it's like it, it's transmogrified into a new heavenly body but it's your body still but then they then the debate was well what about cannibals who gets that body <laughs> <laughs> okay and that rock is- paper scissors <laughs> rock paper scissors yeah rock paper scissors at the last yeah. trumpet there's yeah. these guys wait oh no no that was my arm <laughs> well folks what did I say I said we were going to go on some tangents we didn't think we would get uh, down these paths but uh, yeah what about the relevance of hunting <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean to be a modern carnivore. Yeah, what does yeah. it mean to be? <laughs> oh, oh. 
We're going to continue this conversation. This is the first of many. Good, and uh, good. absolutely, we're going to have some more fun with it. And hopefully, everyone else enjoyed it. But uh, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you all, man. Absolutely. Great Cheers. stuff. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Modern Carnivore Podcast. You can continue the journey by going to modcarn.com. 